0: Good morning, everybody. I want to tell you about my morning. That was perfect. This is my morning. Um, So I get up early on Sunday mornings and go into the office in uh, the house to uh, review my notes in preparation for uh, the message each week. So this morning I went into the office and opened that, my backpack and my notes weren't there, I had left them here. So that was a bummer. We can't drive right now, Marilyn and I, um, so she has a broken foot, I have uh, an eye issue, or a vision issue, and so um, we are dependent on uh, folks driving us and what an amazing thing, the number of people here who've been chauffeuring us around. We are so grateful. So I was uh, in the final prep of, you know, getting ready, and uh, I was in my closet, and I couldn't find the sports jacket that I wanted to wear. It was, you know, this just basic navy blue jacket. I couldn't find it. I know it's in there, but I just can't find it, and our ride arrived, and so I just grabbed this jacket and put it on. It's not the jacket I wanted. So I got to the office here, realized my shoe was untied. I went to tie my shoe, looked down, and saw I have two different shoes on. They're not even close. I have a black shoe and a brown shoe on. So that's a bummer. (laughs) Fortunately, last service, the message went okay, so I, I was worried at nine o'clock how that might go. So I've got, a, uh, I've got a statement I want to make, and if you agree with this statement, I want you to say amen at the end of the statement. Here's the statement. When a baby comes into your house, everything changes. Amen, right? So it doesn't matter, you know, you might be the grandparents and if the kids bring the baby over, everything changes in the house. If you have friends who come over and they bring their baby, everything changes in the house, but it changes big time when you are the parents of a baby in your house. And um, so Marilyn and I were married for about seven years before Josh and Matt came along And so for those seven years, we had established patterns in our life. We had patterns of when we slept and patterns of when we ate and patterns of leisure, you know, how we would spend leisure time. One of our favorite things for leisure time, at the time, we were living in Haddonfield. I was serving at uh, the Haddonfield Methodist Church. And so we used to love on Saturday uh, to wake up when we wanted to (laughs) and walk downtown onto uh, King's Highway. And there was a little uh, coffee shop called the Village Cheese Shop. And uh, they had amazing coffee and even better, they had these muffins that they cooked on site that were out of this world. And so that was, that was one of those things we would do is on a Saturday morning, we'd roll out of bed and um, take a walk downtown and have coffee and, and one of these muffins. And then this little human being came into our lives. Tiny little human being came into our lives, and everything changed. Every pattern that we had set was out the window. Now, sleep patterns were gone. If there was sleep at all, especially in those first months, right? There may not be much sleeping going on, or you sleep when the baby sleeps. Food and eating, all of that changed. Leisure time, forget it. There's no such thing as leisure time anymore. All of these patterns that we had established were out the window. But one of the things that we discovered was we discovered a love that we never knew possible with this little child that was entrusted to our care. We're in a series right now um, On the Holy Spirit. We're in week two of a three-week series on the Holy Spirit. And we're talking about what the work of the Holy Spirit is. And the Holy Spirit, when the Holy Spirit comes into your life, everything changes. It can't help but change. When God moves in, everything changes. And so we're looking at what does that mean? What does that look like in some really specific kinds of ways? Because you can have the life of God, the life force of God in you and not have it make a difference in your life. So to do that, I want to look at um, some scripture from the book of Galatians, Galatians is actually a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Galatia. And uh, so in the fifth chapter, Paul is talking about the Holy Spirit and how the Holy, one of the things, uh, or or what it looks like to have the Holy Spirit in your life. And uh, if you were here last week, you may recall that I looked at a passage from John's Gospel, the 14th chapter. And in that, uh, in that chapter, Jesus said that right now, the Holy Spirit is with you, but soon the Holy Spirit will be in you. Jesus was telling his disciples that after the resurrection, our relationship to God is going to change in a dramatic way from the spirit being with to the spirit being in. And so that as we accept Jesus as the one who forgives our sins, as we accept Jesus as the leader or the Lord of our lives, that the Holy Spirit moves into our lives. And that makes a difference. So in Galatians chapter 5, beginning with uh, verse 16, Here's what it says, the word will be on the screen. Obviously, if you have your own Bible or Bible app, you can follow there as well. It says this, so I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Just quick pause here, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Last week, also, we talked about the work of the Holy Spirit, things that the Holy Spirit does within a human life. So the Holy Spirit, we said, the word spirit, one of the words is paraclete, which literally means advocate or helper. The Holy Spirit serves as an advocate or a helper in our lives. We also talked about the fact that the Holy Spirit is a counselor, a comforter, a teacher, and now Paul is saying the Holy Spirit is a guide. So the Holy Spirit is doing real work in the life of a believer. So so I say let the Holy Spirit guide your life then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the spirit wants. And the spirit gives us the desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature desires. So here Paul is describing these two different opposing natures. On the one side is the sinful nature. What's the sinful nature? If you boil it down to its absolute essence, the sinful nature is the desire to be God. If you go all the way back to the fall of humanity, all the way back to Genesis, Adam and Eve. Remember the story that, that um, God said to Adam and Eve, here's the garden. You can do whatever you want, go wherever you want to go, and you know, just thoroughly enjoy and so forth. The one thing you can't do is eat of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil. If you do, you'll die. Then the tempter came along and the tempter said, you won't die if you eat of this fruit, you will become like God. So the essence of the sin nature is this desire to be God. And the way that it plays itself out in our lives is we want to be in control. We want to be in control of ourselves. We want to be in control of our environment. We want to be in control of our circumstances. We want to be in control of the people around us. We want to be God. We want to run the show because we think that we know best. And if people would just get on board with me, everything would be great, right? I mean, we're in that season now of, you know, people are out Starting now, you know, doing the shopping thing, and so everybody's, here's the thing, everybody's in your way, right? You need to get places, you have stuff to do, and there's all these people, and they're all morons, right? <laughs> Because I'm God. Don't they know I'm God? Clear the path. God's coming through. All right. But at, seriously, at its heart, that's the nature of the sin nature. I want to be God. And even though I might not think of it that way, I might certainly not articulate that that way, that's really what's going on is I want to be in control of my world, whatever that might look like. And then we have this spirit, the Holy Spirit. And the nature, the character of the Holy Spirit is to help conform us into the image of Christ, not for our own sake, but for the sake of others. It's an outward focus. And so here's what Paul says in the next verse. These two forces are constantly fighting each other. So you are not free to carry out your good intentions. We have this inner conflict, this kind of low level at times. At times it's even, you know, high level, but this constant low level of war of things that I want to do that I don't do, things that I don't want to do that I end up doing and we have this struggle, right? And I'm sure you can relate to this. I've got this this thing within me that causes me to behave in ways that I I don't want to behave. Like, I don't want to hurt people, but if I get angry, I might say things in anger that are hurtful to people. I may walk around throughout the course of a day judging the people around me, I don't want to do that, but it just seems to happen that I I have this judgmental thing going on. Or maybe it's uh, that I take some shortcuts, take some shortcuts, which is a nice way of saying I cheat, right? I enhance my stories, my recollections of things, oftentimes to make myself look better or to make somebody else look better worse, right, so these are the things that we might struggle with, with this battle that's going on, so if you can relate to that, I want you to know that you're in good company, The Apostle Paul talks about this struggle, not just here in Galatians, but in several of his writings, but none more clearly and expansively than in the seventh chapter of another letter he wrote to a church in Rome. So in the book of Romans, the seventh chapter, Paul is talking about this this warfare between the uh, spirit of God and human nature. So I want to read just a little section of that uh, from the message. Again, the words are on the screen. It says this, For if I know the law, but still can't keep it, and if the power of sin within me keeps me, keeps sabotaging my best intentions, I obviously, I obviously need help. I realize that I don't have what it takes. I can will it, but I can't do it. I decide to do good, but I don't really do it. I decide not to do bad, but then I do it anyway. Something has gone wrong deep within me and gets the better of me every time. That's the nature of the sin nature, that's the nature of the warfare between this desire to be God and the spirit of God within. So the spirit of God is at war. It's sort of like the the sin nature is like a cancer and the Holy Spirit comes in and it's trying to destroy the cancer and the cancer is trying to destroy this cure the Holy Spirit. And so that's the struggle that we have. So then Paul goes on describing the sin nature. Oh, before that, in verse 18, uh, Paul writes, but when you are directed by the Spirit, you are not under obligation to the law of Moses. So Paul is saying there's there's a new covenant at play now. The old covenant was adherence to the law. And so God gave folks the law and said, here, obey the laws and you'll be right with me. Knowing that we couldn't do it because of this sin nature. People wanted to do it. They desired to do it. They loved God. They they wanted to do it, but they kept failing over and over and over again. God's way of showing us that On our own, we can't do it. Then this new covenant through the death and resurrection of Jesus. And now we are no longer under the law, but under grace. That we have salvation because of the sacrifice of Jesus. Not by anything that we do on our own. And through this grace, we are given the Holy Spirit. And so now we're being guided not by the law, but by the spirit. So then he circles back around to this, to this sin nature thing and says this. When we, fo- when we follow the desires of our sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, Jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. So Paul is saying, look, if we are going to live by this sin nature... It has consequences. It looks like something in people's lives. And he puts together this little list, and he says, this isn't a comprehensive list. It's these things and things like these. And if you really kind of begin to look at this list, it begins to make sense. These these behaviors are anti-Christ. They are anti-Christ because they are anti-love. So as you unpack these these various descriptions of sin, they are focused on me and they are opposed to others. They treat others as objects, as problems. It's all about me. I was doing a little word study on some of these and uh, the one that I found most baffling, honestly, was sorcery. You're like, really, sorcery? Like, all right, that must have been like a second or first century kind of thing, and, you know, it's abracadabra kind of stuff. Some translations call it witchcraft. Like, really? So I did a little word study and was fascinated and surprised by the word that gets translated sorcery. The word is pharmakia, Pharmacia, which we get our word pharmacy or pharmacist. It's about people who took um, whatever you know potions they could put together, whatever um, chemicals they could pull out of various um, plants and, and so forth, and mix them together and create these drugs and then sell them to people, with promises of this will make you better, this will improve your life, this will keep you young, this will make you veer, all of those things, you know, what we called them in our recent past is snake oil salesmen, right? Selling an idea that really didn't work. And It occurred to me that you know we have an opioid epidemic in our country. We've been hearing about this a lot recently, right? Our own church—we've been—we have a group of about thirty people that are part of this opioid roundtable, looking at how can we bring hope into this desperate situation. And as I have listened to the stories of people, this. Epidemic from these pharmaceuticals, these opioids, are devastating individual lives. They're devastating families. They are devastating whole communities. And we are creating these billionaires, these drug lords, who are becoming paramilitary organizations. So the consequence, the point of that is the consequence of the sin nature is profound. These aren't just, oh, naughty, naughty, you know, don't do that kind of stuff. These things devastate lives. And the greater we live into them, the less unchecked they are, the more profound the damage they do, both to individuals but also to families and to whole communities. So that's the bad news. That's the unchecked sin nature. That's the I want to be God and the results of that. Paul points out in the second part of verse 17, these Two forces are constantly fighting each other. So you are not free to carry out your good intentions. The spirit of God and the sin nature at war within you. So don't be surprised. Don't be frustrated when you recognize that you have this same battle going on in you that Paul described. The good things I want to do, I don't do them. The bad things I don't want to do, I do them. This is the struggle that's going on within you. And the Holy Spirit is working with you, in you, on you, to conform you to the image of Christ for the sake of others. So, moving on get to the good stuff. The Apostle Paul now is talking about the, uh, the nature of the Spirit. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life, meaning the, uh, by the uh, uh, sin nature, no one living that sort of life will inherit the kingdom of God. The fact is they don't want the kingdom of God. When you're living by the sin nature, you don't want the kingdom of God because you believe you are God. I don't need the kingdom of God. I don't need God in my life. I've got this. I'm in control. I'm in charge. I'll live life on my own terms, in my own way. So of course they don't inherit the kingdom of God. They don't don't want the kingdom of God. But... Bless you. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Listen to the list love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self control. There is no law against any of these things. I love the fact that Paul calls it fruit. He's saying the Holy Spirit produces this fruit in your life. What should come to mind is a fruit tree, right? Think of an apple tree or a pear tree or something. What happens? As it draws nutrients from the ground, at the end of a branch, a little bud starts. And over time, that bud begins to grow and mature and develop And over time, it becomes a fully formed piece of fruit, whether it's an apple or pear or whatever. That's what the Holy Spirit is doing in your life as you put your trust in him. It's developing, it's growing this fruit in you. And then he describes what it looks like, and it's the stuff that we all long for in our lives, right? I want to see love growing and maturing in my life. I want more joy in my life. I want to experience peace and kindness and self-control. All of these things, these nine things, these nine fruits are what the Spirit is developing in you as you put your trust in Him. It's the best stuff of life. It's the most life-giving stuff of life. We can't do it on our own, right? I can't will myself to be peaceful. I might try, you know, I might read stuff, I might watch a, you know, listen to a podcast about it, I might, you know, meditate and so forth, trying to create peace within myself but I can't do it and even if I could even if I could get to the point of I'm totally focused on I'm going to get peace in my life and so forth there are eight other things that I'm missing out on so I don't have to work on this I just have to put my faith in the work of the spirit and here's what that looks like close out with this those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. Let us not become conceited or provoke one another or be jealous of one another. So when those aspects of the sin nature come up in our lives, when I find myself judging others, when I hear myself um, putting others down to make myself look better, when I'm taking shortcuts and so forth, that I don't dismiss that, I don't excuse that, I don't ignore that, but I literally in my mind's eye take it to the cross and nail it to the cross. Jesus died for that. Jesus died to set me free from that. Those are the things that are opposed to the Spirit. And I'm going to choose to follow the Spirit, to let the Spirit be my guide. So it's the beginning of Advent. A child has come and all of the patterns have changed because the child grew to be a man and the man is the Messiah who came to show us the way, to offer us the truth, and to give you life.